Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 196. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. And hey, I want to thank you, the audience members, for taking the time out of your day and leaving such great ratings and reviews on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those other platforms you're listening on. It means a lot to the show. So for those of you who have done so, thank you so much. If you haven't yet, please go over and leave a a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on. It would mean a lot to the show. Well, without further ado, let's jump into this week's guest interview. This week's guest is Eric Satz. Eric is a founder and CEO of Alto IRA. He is a serial entrepreneur who's seen both wins and losses. Eric knows investing is no longer just for the wealthy and is living out his mission of delivering 21st century investment opportunities to everyone, even non-accredited investors. Eric is a former investment banker and early stage investor with a passion for nurturing startups and raising capital. He teaches an entrepreneurship class to high school students in Nashville and served on the board of Tennessee Valley Authority from 2015 to 2018. Through Alto IRA, Eric is making alternative asset investing available to all by giving people the support they need to choose and make their own investments using their IRA savings. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. Well, hey, Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Jacob, thanks for having me. But let's jump into about you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you came from, and kind of how you got involved in the world of alternative asset investing through IRAs. Sure. So first and foremost, I'm a husband and a dad. I've got a 20-year-old son who's a sophomore in college and an 18-year-old daughter who is a senior in high school and will be a freshman next year. Two dogs and a cat a house, a mortgage, and a whole lot of alternative asset investments. And <laughs> the path to Alto IRA is somewhat of a traditional entrepreneurial path in the sense that I had a problem. I went about solving it. I didn't like the solutions in the marketplace. So I looked to see whether or not the opportunity that I thought needed to be addressed was a large enough opportunity to address. And it turns out with roughly $30 trillion sitting in retirement savings accounts and less than 1% invested in what we call alternative assets, so non-publicly traded investment opportunities, including real estate, that sort of seemed like a big enough market to address. And so we started to build Alto IRA about three years ago and we launched about a year ago. 
Awesome. So what were some of these problems you were seeing, Eric, in the marketplace when you were going out for your own personal endeavors and what led you to kind of offer this? Yeah, so that's a great question. So the first thing is that I've been investing and in the investment world for about 25 years. And so I wanted to make an investment using my IRA savings and it shouldn't have felt like my first rodeo. And yet it took about six weeks to execute the investment from start to finish, something that should have taken maybe three days, took about six weeks. I had to do all the work. And then for the privilege at the end of the process, I wrote a check to the custodian and that didn't feel so good. I thought, well, maybe I just chose the wrong custodian. It can't really be this bad. And so I made two other investments using my IRA and basically had the exact same experience. At which point I said, you know what? This industry space hasn't changed in 40 some odd years since ERISA created the opportunity for people to invest with their IRA in assets like real estate. The example that immediately came to mind was people filing their taxes with CPAs and filling out forms and reading all sorts of documents, which was this huge time sink and an unbelievable level of frustration until TurboTax came along and said, you know what? We can put technology in place that asks you the questions so that you can easily provide the answers. We can take those answers, put them all in one place called your tax filing form and send it in. The idea was to build this platform that essentially replicated that process for alternative IRA investing. That's what we've done. We've kind of ripped the people and the paper and the complexity and the huge time sink out of the equation, made it really simple, easy to follow and cost effective. Yeah, sure. It's really interesting to see how technology is being leveraged in the world of finance today. There's lots of things that are happening in the spaces and you can see technology really being a disruptor in many spaces from crowdfunding to tax returns to IRAs and all kinds of places. So really cool to see you leveraging that and doing something differently there. Kind of out of this need for your own personal needs to begin with, like you're just seeing how cumbersome investing in your IRA was. You're having to do all the legwork and then at the end, writing a check to the custodian saying, hey, thanks for quote unquote <laughs> helping me, right? So Right. And you brought up a really important point there because when I got started in this with my own investing, I wasn't thinking about the Jobs Act, which is the Jumpstart Our Business Startups or Title Three and Reg CF, which is regulation crowdfunding. I wasn't thinking about that. That sort of evolved as I was looking at the opportunity holistically saying, wow, this is an expensive process. So unless you're investing a big number, you shouldn't really find some justification in order to make this investment because there are annual account fees associated with alternative IRAs. There just are because there's work to be done. But there wasn't so much work that the fees should have been so high. And so I thought if we put this technology platform in place, we can drive the cost of support and administration, if you will, down to a point where pretty much anybody in America could participate. And that became the goal because we are not in a position as a society to expect to retire. Like the world has changed. And yeah. I want it to be so that everyone, when they get to retirement age, they are in a position to retire. And, and ultimately, that's what's driving us in our mission. Yeah, sure. And really quickly, Eric, I just want to kind of back up and talk about IRAs, but really quickly, just to share a story about my own personal journey. Most people's path is to invest in a 401k, their employer-sponsored qualified retirement plan, right? And I remember just being a recent college graduate and like looking at this 401k, just nothing really made sense about it, right? Like it didn't do what I wanted it to do. It didn't excite me. Here I am going to put all my money in this thing in 40 or 50 years, maybe retire. Maybe. Through a bunch of stuff that I didn't really even care about. 
about or understand. So that's where most people are. And then some people kind of transition into investing in IRAs and doing things they actually want. But the question is, why IRAs? What advantage does it offer to people that maybe 401ks don't or other investment vehicles? First of all, great story. Totally get it. You're not alone. It's probably you and everybody else, right? Who sure, yeah. <laughs> enters the workforce. I'm just going to tie that into a larger macro picture that I think is part of what's driving this transition from 401k to IRA. In addition to the fact that people are staying at companies a much shorter period of time than they used to and the gig economy, the fact of the matter is that all of the investing in 401k, because every employer and every 401k administrator is scared of being sued. The stock market goes down and everybody sues us because they lost all their money. And the fact of the matter is that 20 years ago, we had almost 9,000 public companies. Today, we've got less than 3,700 public companies. And you've got 200 plus of the companies that are public that really account for all of the returns in the marketplace, which means that all of those mutual funds, ETFs, index funds that we're all told we're allowed to invest in in our 401k, they're all various combinations of the same freaking 200 plus companies. Where are the returns? Those returns that we used to be able to count on in the public markets don't exist anymore. So Amazon, Google, Netflix, Yahoo, Cisco, Microsoft, these companies, when they went public, they used to raise 50 to $100 million. And they would go public at a valuation that was in the hundreds of millions. And now they're worth tens, hundreds of billions, in some instances, a trillion dollars, right? So there yeah. was public market upside for the public investor. Well, that's all gone now because those companies stay private. They raise 200, 300, 400, 500 million dollars in private rounds. Like like Uber, right? Like Uber and Airbnb. And they do it at valuations. We all know that unicorns are companies that achieve a billion dollar valuation. Well, these companies are raising this amount of money at tens of billions of dollars and not going public. So where is the upside for the public market investor? And I would argue that it's way smaller than it used to be, which means that if we're going to be in a position to retire, we need exposure to alternative assets like private companies, like real estate, like marketplace loans so that we can generate a more diversified portfolio that includes assets that generate non-correlated returns to the public marketplace. So no matter what the public marketplace does, that does not have to have a direct impact on your real estate holdings or your private company holdings. And so you take this balanced portfolio approach and you add assets also in a diversified manner at scale that allows you to not only improve your risk profile, but also improve your reward profile. And so 401k administrators aren't going to let you, the shorthand way of thinking about this is 401k administrators and, and employers aren't going to let you invest in what you want. They're going to invest in what they think they're not going to get sued for. And so by moving to an alternative IRA like Alto IRA, you get the ability to invest in what you want. Yeah, well, that's like what the whole problem I was explaining to you, right? Like the stuff that I've, I have available in my current 401k today just doesn't excite me. I don't even know what half of it is. It's like mid cap index funds and small cap index what does funds. That mean? Like, I don't know what that is. All right. Like I don't have any control over it. They tell me kind of like the risk profile of it. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds good. But like you're saying, there's just not as many opportunities in today's market to invest through the open market. So that leads people to go to these alternative asset classes, which I've always found funny that real estate is considered an 
alternative asset class. Because in my mind, it's like the most primary thing. Like I understand it. Everybody lives in some type of residence, right? So it's like, why is that alternative? To me, it's like very primary. It's everyone has a hand in it. So just my take there. And, and everybody goes to a retail store, which is a commercial enterprise, or they go to an office building. I actually hate the word alternative. And I almost resent the fact that this is the word we've been handed down. And I also hate, by the way, having to say, okay, non-publicly traded stocks and bonds. That's a mouthful, right? So instead, yeah. someone someone decided, okay, these are alternatives. Alternatives to the publicly traded stocks, which I agree with you. Makes no sense. Is there anything more fundamental and foundational than real estate? I don't think so. <laughs> sure. Well, let's just change the way the whole world calls these things. You and I right here. We'll call them fundamental <laughs> assets. I like it. Okay. Fundamental assets it is from here on there out. There we go. So, so IRA gives an individual the opportunity to invest in these different asset classes, fundamental assets, right? So, you know, what does that look By like? By the what way, are those we should file a trademark now and get t-shirts out real quick. We'll do that before this episode goes live. And I think by the time this thing goes live, we'll have an empire on our hands. Awesome. We're in. I'm in. <laughs> Good. All right. So what opportunities does one have investing in an IRA that they wouldn't have otherwise? Yeah. What are some asset classes that they can invest in? Obviously, real estate is one of those. There are some others. Yeah, there are others. And the others include private companies of any stage. So it could be a startup. It could be a later stage company. It could just be a, a company like Uber or SpaceX or Airbnb that hasn't yet gone public. And you want the ability to invest in these businesses. What's unique about the world today that's different from just three years ago is that you now have the ability to do that. And so what we like to talk about is the fact that the other thing that people should know when they're talking about investing in, whether it's real estate or private companies, is that these are not liquid assets in the way that publicly traded stocks and bonds are, right? You can't wake up, call your broker, and not that anybody calls a broker anymore, but you can't wake up, go <laughs> online, and just issue an order to buy or sell. There's a process. The reason you want to use your IRA money for these assets is because you're matching asset term. So, we can't touch our IRA money without penalty until we retire. Well, guess what? These are long-term assets that you're investing in if it's real estate or private companies. If you use after-tax savings to invest in these assets, and then a major life event happens, which happens for almost all of us, right? There's a health scare, or there's a car accident, or you lose your job, or whatever it is, and all of a sudden you have a liquidity crunch, and you're worried about how you pay the rent, or how do you pay the utilities, or or groceries or gas, whatever it may be, what you don't want to do is find yourself in a position where you have to dig into your IRA savings at that time, take it out, pay income tax and pay a penalty, right? Yeah. So this is the money that you should be using for these long-term investments. That's point number one. Point number two is it's all tax deferred. It's tax deferred or if you're investing out of a Roth IRA, it's tax-free. You get the compounding result of not paying tax on your return over time. And that is a huge number over 30 to 40 years. Sure. That gives you a compounded growth over, you know, 30 or 40 years of tax deferred growth. So, you know, at the end of your or going into your retirement, you know, you've been able to invest in this asset class that you like, that you know and understand. And here you are now able to retire on kind of your own terms or more so on your own terms. You bring up another great point, which is someone asked me, how do I know what to invest in? And I think the answer is really simple and it's really a Warren Buffett thing, which is invest in things you understand. Don't 
don't invest in things you don't understand. That doesn't mean that, oh, I understand it, therefore it's a good investment. I mean, you got to dig in and you got to do some homework and you got to do some diligence, right? But at least start with something that is in some way attractive to you as an investment opportunity before you dig in to begin to understand what it is. And I had a colleague who's a bit older than me. Okay, maybe a lot older than me. And he used to say that investing is like sex. It's a participatory sport. And so I like to say that investing is proactive. Savings is passive. And I think we need to be more proactive about our approach to retirement, which means taking more control over investments and not making these passive investments into ETFs and mutual funds and index funds, things like that. Yeah, sure. So I think one thing to note here is when you're investing in an IRA, the custodian doesn't necessarily direct your investment, say, hey, you know, invest in this or do this or here are your options. They're just kind of creating that vehicle for you to go out and make those decisions, right? That's correct. So we don't tell anybody what to invest in. Even if you ask us, we can't tell you if this is a good investment or a bad investment. That's not our role. Our role is to enable you to do it. So you still have to do your homework. Where we make it easier in many cases is by having integrated our platform with some of the other investment platforms that are out there, such as AngelList and WeFunder and Republic and GroundFloor and YieldStreet, Silicon Prairie. We've got some others that are along the way and that are also real estate specific, by the way. I just can't mention them yet. So if you want to find an asset on one of these platforms and utilize your IRA to make the investment, we make it really, really easy to do so. Yeah, interesting. So you're kind of alluding to the fact that you're making opportunities available to people to invest in like crowdfunding platforms and have those types of opportunities to invest their IRA money in those types of things. That's right. So it used to be that if you wanted to have real estate exposure, you had to have enough money to either buy a property outright or have enough equity in the property that someone was willing to loan you the rest, right? Traditional bank loan on a property. That's no longer a requirement because you can go to a site like Ground Floor and you can look at all of the properties that they're making available from an investment standpoint. You can invest as little as $100. You can invest $1,000. You can invest $10,000. You can invest $100,000 if you got it. And not only do you get real estate exposure, but you lose the headache of being the landlord and all the ongoing CapEx, maintenance, and, and that sort of headache. And so when I talk about building a diversified portfolio and getting exposure to alternatives, I think it's important to note that I'm not saying, hey, take your $5,000 of savings and bet it on black or red and just make an investment in one company. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying invest in 10 different alternative assets, right? Which is what you can do today with these investment platforms that you couldn't do before. So I can go on the ground floor and with $1,000, I could get exposure to 10 different properties, a mix of commercial, residential, geography, it doesn't matter. Okay, can you imagine getting that sort of uh, portfolio diversification three years ago just couldn't happen. Yeah, sure. I think that's the beauty of investing in an IRA is you're able to invest in an opportunity with as little or as much control as you want. You can go out and invest in a REIT or invest in a crowdfunding platform that's offering real estate, or you could, on the opposite end of the spectrum, go out and buy a duplex in your IRA, right? So right. you've got a wide range of things you're able to do in this vehicle. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I can't say it any better than you just said it, so... Well, good. So I'm talking on that far end of the spectrum of investing in, say, a duplex on your own. I often get the question.
question and maybe you could shed some light here because I'm not IRA expert, but say you go out and you want to buy a duplex. Does that investment have to be all cash or can you use non-recourse leverage? So you can use non-recourse leverage. And in fact, we're following an example here where the money you're using in order to, for the equity in the purchase is all coming from your IRA. And so there are not a lot, by the way, but there are a few banks in the country that will make a non-recourse loan against that property with the IRA entity as the equity in the property. I think it's important to understand and to distinguish that you and your IRA are two different things entirely. There's you, the person, and there's you, the IRA. And what you cannot do is uh, use money from one to benefit the other. That's a big no, no. Those are against the rules. So for example, if you take your IRA money and let's just use the simple example of I take my IRA money and I buy a duplex outright and the duplex needs work. Okay. What I myself cannot do is go rehab that property myself, even if I have all the skills in the world to do it, because that's seen as contributing value from me, my person to me, my IRA, which is a big no-no. So the you know, you always have to consult a tax advisor when you're using your IRA to, to purchase a property outright to make sure that you're not stepping into what we call a prohibited transaction. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, your IRA really can't benefit you personally and vice versa. So your IRA can't pay you to go rehab the property and you can't benefit your IRA in other ways. Yes, sir. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you can kind of take that simple perspective, I know it gets very complicated and convoluted in different scenarios, but that's the general holistic idea there. That's right. So, for example, if we take a company investment as an example, I can't invest in a company that I am the controlling shareholder of, and I can't invest in a company that any of my ancestors or descendants are the controlling shareholders of. And I can't invest in a company where any of those aforementioned people earn salaries that represent more more than 10% of the total salaries of the company. Basically, no end run around to try and get money from you, from your IRA to you, your person, or anybody who's really close to you and skirt the whole tax issue. So no loophole there. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So just like that, it gets a little bit more detailed and intricate, but yeah, I understand. So another question is, can you borrow from your IRA like you can a 401k? So you can, but you also have to repay. Just like the 401k, right? Just like the right? 401k. And we're getting a little bit outside my area of expertise, but I think you have 90 days maybe to repay. I'm not, I'm not sure. Okay, sure. But that opportunity is still, if you're comparing like, hey, do I want to invest in a 401k or an IRA? They're still similar in their benefits and that idea. Yes, you can borrow so long as you repay. Sure. Okay. Well, let's talk about contribution limits to an IRA. What are we looking at there? Yeah. So the contribution limits, I think we're now at $6,500. And don't quote me on this. It's an easy thing to Google. I should probably Google it myself, but sure, no worries. annual IRA contribution limits, I think this year I've gone up to either 6,000 or 6,500 for individuals that are, I think, 50 or younger. And I think you get $1,000 more to try and catch up with if you're over 50. But again, 
this is an easy one to Google. So I encourage people to do that to find out what their contribution limits are. Yeah. But the thing to note is there is a contribution limit. You can't just go put $100,000 this year in your IRA and have that grow tax deferred. I mean, the government's like understanding that they're giving you this benefit, but the benefit has a ceiling or has a cap. The benefit has its limits. So one exception there, actually, there are a couple of different exceptions and it depends on who the listener is. So you can take whatever money is in your 401k and you can do what's called a rollover. And that's actually a legal term in, in this context. And you can roll over everything that's in your 401k that you've contributed. You can roll that over into an IRA. So if you have $100,000 in your 401k and you've left your employer and you want to leave your employer's plan and you want to move that money into an IRA, you can move all of it. That's not subject to contribution limit. So that's important okay. to understand. That's the first thing. The second thing is that for those who own and run small businesses, they may be able to take advantage of a SEP IRA, which has different, actually much higher contribution limits and is based on a formula that, again, you will have to consult a tax advisor to fully understand. But it gives you the ability to contribute a lot more on an annual basis. Sure. Okay. And then another like left field question here is you hear a lot of this dreadful UBTI, right? Unrelated business taxable income, if I've got that right. Some people see it as UBTI and some people talk about it as UBIT, which is unrelated okay. business income tax. So they mean the exact same thing, by the way. Okay, got it, got it. <laughs> I wish somebody would decide that what it should be, but I see it both ways all the time. And so that's when, let's just take the simplest example and your listeners are really real estate focused. So let's take a fundamental asset example here, right? Okay. And that is I go and I buy a, a rental property. I think it's important for people to understand by by the way, that they can't buy a second home that they're going to use with their IRA, okay? Because that's your IRA benefiting you, okay? No vacation home in this scenario. No vacation home in the IRA. That's another no, no. But what you can buy is a property that you're going to lease or rent for income purposes. So I go buy a $100 house and I put up $30 of equity and I borrow 70. Okay. So 70% of any rental income that I earn is related to the leverage that I have on the property. And therefore I owe tax on the 70% of the rental income that I receive. So we use this example where I've got $30 of equity, $70 of debt on the property. It's non-recourse. The IRA is the owner. And I receive $10 of rental income in the year. Seven of those $10 are going to be subject to income tax. Okay, got it. So that is the UBIT or UBTI. Both of those. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's pretty clear. I mean, I thought it was a little bit more complicated than that, but breaking it down like that, very understandable. So if you've got an unrelated business taxable income, then you've got to pay tax on that. That's correct. And then it's even more complicated. That's pretty straightforward, actually. Sure. Okay. It's more complicated when you get into private company investing. And it rarely comes up in earlier stage investing because there are no distributions whatsoever, right? It's not until a company gets sold or goes public. And so that's different. But yeah. there are some cases in private company investing where the issue may arise, just not as prevalent as real estate. 
Okay, good. Really clear there. So appreciate that clarification. Now, what are some misconceptions or some little known facts about IRAs that you see in today's environment? I think conventional wisdom up until now has been that you need to be ultra conservative with your IRA investing. That may have been true when the public markets offered the returns that it did historically. I think those returns are diminishing. We're also talking about, from a macro perspective, a baby boomer generation that's going to have to start to liquidate holdings in order to fund their living expenses over X number of years. And so as they start to liquidate portfolios, there's going to be cash flowing out of the market, and that's going to put downward pressure on prices, generally speaking, right? So again, this idea that I need to be ultra conservative and have liquidity access to my retirement savings when I'm 30 or 40 or 50, I think is just upside down or backwards. That this is money you can't touch. It doesn't need to be invested in liquid assets. And the other thing about the majority of us is that we buy when it's high and we sell when it's low, which is the exact opposite of what people should do. So (laughs) if you're invested in illiquid assets, you actually can't hurt yourself. You can't panic. Like it's not up to you to just turn around and, and buy something or sell something. It takes time, which means you actually get some time to readjust your emotional thinking and let your business thinking come back. Sure, sure. Yeah. There's something to be said about investing in something illiquid. And I think most real estate investors understand that, right? Like you said, you can't wake up one morning, call your real estate agent and say, sell my house today, you know, by noon. It just doesn't quite work like that. It's a bit illiquid, slower moving, which has its pros and cons, creates not the ability to have that like knee jerk reaction in the marketplace, but yet sometimes it is a bit illiquid. So there's pros and cons to that. No question. I completely agree. Well, one misconception I think I've kind of heard sometimes is, especially from a younger demographic, say those millennials in the workplace, is, well, I don't invest in IRA because I haven't maxed out my 401k. It just kind of seems like a little bit above and beyond what I'm currently capable to do, right? Like, yeah, I'm doing my 3% or 5% or whatever company match, and then I'm saving a little in savings. But IRA is like, no, that's for ultra wealthy people or somebody a little bit more advanced in their career. What do you have to say to that? What I have to say is I actually think it's really important to max out your 401k, especially in order to get the matching dollars from your employer if those are available. So I do think that comes first. There are a lot of 401ks that allow you to then transfer, sorry, not transfer in the case of 401k to IRA, it's a rollover. There are a lot of 401ks that will allow you to roll over the funds that you have contributed, not the matching contributions from your employer while you're still employed, but the funds that you have contributed, they'll allow you to roll those over into an IRA so that you can invest in alternative assets or fundamental assets as you and I refer to them. So I would say, especially for millennials, the first thing to do is max out your 401k and max out your employer contribution. Absolutely. So go get that employer contribution match in this vehicle, which is great. Roll it over to a different vehicle that you're able to invest in asset classes that you prefer. Correct. Yeah, pretty simple strategy. I like that. Yeah. So I think a lot of people out there just don't really maybe think that's an option or they think like that's like phase two of their investing career and they're just not quite there yet. Or I just know lots of younger people that don't have IRAs or don't think that it's an option to them. We're trying to work with 401k providers that, that work with sort of the small business community so that we can add 
this additional lever to their offering so that people don't have to sort of go through all the nuts and bolts on their own and trying to figure out how to get the money into the place that they want so they can invest in what they want. Sure. Yeah, I'm just building you with all kinds of like left field, right field questions here. But when we're talking about investing in real estate, are there any advantages that you don't get investing in real estate through an IRA that you would outside an IRA, such as tax advantages? We've kind of touched on that leverage. Real estate investors, a big thing to them are depreciation. So any advantages or disadvantages you can see to investing in IRA with real estate? Because all of the capital gain and all of the interest income is tax deferred, you don't get the benefit of the depreciation on your personal income tax return, right? So that's a disadvantage. But the other side of the coin is that all of the current income is free to be reinvested without tax. And so that's over time, I think that's a really significant benefit. And then there's a lot of talk these days about investing in opportunity zones, especially among real estate investors. Yeah, that's a really hot topic. I'd, I'd love to get into that a little more. But so tell us about that. If you use your IRA, everything's an opportunity zone because you're not paying any tax. Yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> I like to think of sort of IRA real estate investing as the universal opportunity zone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, this is an ultimate tax haven, right? Deferring your tax, deferring your capital gains, allowing it to grow tax-free and compound that much quicker. I just made up a word, quicker, yeah, huh? It quicker. Sound good. <laughs> <laughs> We're making up all kinds of terms today. Might as well just continue with it. Why not? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So it's like investing in your own opportunity zone, which is like a really hot topic in today's environment, especially in the real estate world. People are really trying to figure out how to defer capital gains, defer taxes, so this is a perfect investment vehicle for that. So we've decided we have two t-shirts to print. One is the fundamental IRA and the second is your own opportunity zone. I really like that. Okay. And then maybe hashtag quickly or right. something. <laughs> quickly. <laughs> quickly. <laughs> Got it. Okay, cool. We'll, we'll knock those down. And uh, awesome. You know, it's really interesting to just kind of hear about this investment vehicle that is the IRA. There's not a lot of information out there, at least especially in the real estate investing community. I don't feel like one thing I wanted to bring up there are a lot of real estate investors, what's important to them is cash flow today, right? They want to achieve financial independence, financial freedom by investing in cash flowing assets to put cash in their pocket every month. You know, that's kind of my perspective as well. But but right now, I'm not exactly doing that. Like I invest for cash flow and I get that cash flow and I don't put it in my pocket and go spend it every month. I continually reinvest it until it's grown to a sizable portion that one day I can essentially retire early, right? Or do something significant with this cash flow because $200 a month per house cash flow is great. Not going to change your life for one or two or five houses. So I'm kind of in a sense like being a bit hypocritical here where I'm like, I want the cash flow today. I want to put it in my pocket, but I'm not doing anything with it. I'm like continually reinvesting investing. So what's your take on that type of, I don't know, scenario or dilemma there? So my take is that the majority of Americans, their savings lives in their retirement account. 90% of all savings, roughly $30 trillion is in either an IRA or, or 401k. So I think you're in a place where you actually have an option. And that's an option that not everybody has. And so if what you're trying to do, if you do have the option, and you're trying to boost your money, monthly income, or then I say, you know, use your after-tax savings for that 
that particular investment. And it may be you do a combination of the two. If, if you're better off, you know, it's sort of like going on a diet in that like for some people, it doesn't matter. You know, their willpower is so strong. It doesn't matter if you put the chocolate cake in front of them, they're not going to eat it. For other people, you put the chocolate cake. Power to those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For other people, you put the chocolate cake in front of them and they ask for a glass of milk because they're going to have the chocolate cake. So if you think about it this way, if you want to force reinvestment, use your IRA. You're not going to go out for that crazy dinner. You're not going to go on that crazy trip. Like there's no justification because you're not going to take the money out of the IRA, pay tax and pay a penalty because that just doesn't make any sense. So if you want to force some reinvestment, use your IRA. If you want to be able to supplement your income and use it on an ongoing basis, well then by all means, go ahead and use your after-tax income for that investment. Yeah, sure. Well, lots of good information here around an IRA, Eric. So if someone is interested in maybe exploring this investment vehicle, what's something to look for in a good IRA custodian? Are they all the same? Are there differences? What are some key differences that different custodians offer? Yeah. So first of all, there's only one place to go, which is us. So <laughs> of course, right? www.altoira.com, A-L-T-O-I-R-A.com. And I say that not even tongue in cheek, actually. And it's because we're the only ones who have built a technology platform that makes the process super easy to work with and cost effective. And so it, we're also super friendly people, by the way. Obviously. <laughs> so we want you to have a really good experience. We understand that for a lot of people doing this for the first time, the unknowns are scary and sometimes frustrating. And so what we've tried to build into our platform is something very simple that we call forgiveness. What if I make a mistake? Don't worry about it. We'll fix it. What if I don't know what to do? Don't worry about it. We'll tell you. And so this forgiveness and grace, flexibility, whatever you want to call it, we know that this is new to the majority of America. And so we're here to help. Yeah, sure. Well, I think that takes a lot of the uncertainty out of the process, right? Here you are, you're going to take some money to an IRA custodian, but you've really got no idea. Like real estate, you kind of like Bitcoin or whatever it is. Take some of that uncertainty, going with somebody with experience and that kind of promise back guarantee to help you and guide you along the process. I mean, that's right. I think it's important to understand that we built this because of our own frustrations with the problem. And we just don't want anybody else to have that same experience. Sure. So tell us a little bit more about that technology piece that you've coupled with this. I mean, you've kind of alluded to, you've matched up a lot of different crowdfunding sites to make available to people investing through Alto IRA, through their IRA and that piece. So tell us about that technology component of the business that you've created there. So we built what we refer to as a two-sided platform. We've got investors on one side and then issuers are companies that are uh, raising or borrowing money on the other side. So this is a first for the industry. Historically, the industry has never had a relationship with the issuing companies. They've always said to the investor, hey, go get us all this information that we require about the company or the property that you're investing in. When you get all that stuff, come back to us. And then we're going to read it. And then we're going to ask you a bunch of questions about it. Then we're going to tell you it's incomplete information and send you back to the company to get us more information. And then you're going to come back with that. And then we're going to tell you to go get us the signatures. And then we'll say whether or not the right person signed it. And then maybe we can fund at that point, which is why, you know, a process that should take just a couple of days took six weeks 
a few different times for me. Instead, because we built this two-sided platform and because we have a relationship with the companies that are raising money, we ask the individual investor questions that they should have answers to, like what's your date of birth? What's your social security number? Where do you live? Things like that. On the other side, we ask the company for information that they already have. The deal documents, the purchase agreement, the employer identification number, things that we need to make sure that you're not entering into a prohibited transaction and that you're actually investing in a real business. And so by doing that, we have simplified your life as the individual investor, and we have actually simplified the life of the company that's raising the money because we do all of the document management and closing online with electronic signatures and button clicks. Investors can invite companies to the platform and companies can invite investors to the platform. And so we have this virtuous uh, cycle or network effect built into the platform. Yeah, sure. Really, I think that's a really cool thing that you guys are doing there at Alto IRA. Coupling this technology piece with the investment vehicle of an IRA really gives people the opportunity to go in, streamline the process, not make it so old school clunky, but not make it very scary and uncertain too with this guarantee you guys offer. So really cool thing there. I mean, it's interesting to see this space growing and changing over time. Not that I've got a ton of experience in it, but from what you're saying, it used to not be anywhere like this. It didn't. It's a true statement. Yeah, sure. Well, we believe you, of course. Of course. <laughs> well, Eric, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you and just kind of exploring this investment vehicle that is the IRA and, and all the things that come along with it. So what questions maybe should I have asked you that I didn't? Any kind of parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with the audience members? I think you did a fantastic job with this Q&A and teeing things up. And thank you for being incredibly well prepared. The big thing, and I think we've already hit on it, is that you can use your IRA to invest in asset opportunities that interest you. You are not limited to what the major broker dealers or your employer tells you you can invest in. You have the ability to move that money to what we call the alternative IRA, although now I'm thinking about changing the name and calling it a fundamental IRA. There we go. <laughs> and you have the ability to do that, and we make it as painless as possible. And so that's the parting gift. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I we'll love it. Eric, hey, it's been a lot of fun having you on. For the audience members that want to learn more about what you guys are doing there at Alto IRA, maybe connect with you or the team there, learn more about you, just reach out. Where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah, www.altoira.com is absolutely the best place to go. We have a, a pretty hefty help center there as well. So if you just want to spend some time learning more, go there. No obligations to do anything ever. And if you have any questions, you can just ping us at help at altoira.com and we will respond. Awesome. Well, Eric, thanks so much for all that information. It's been a lot of fun having you on the show today. Look forward to having you back on in the future. Till next time, take care. Thanks, Jacob. That was great. You do a super job. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Eric Satz. Hey, I hope you're getting value from this show and so much to be learned from the conversation with Eric today. As you can tell, he really knows all things IRA and alternative asset classes, which we've deemed differently. So you can pick that up if you'd like. Well, hey, if you'd like to learn anything about all the resources we mentioned in the show today, you can find those in the show notes. As always, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so at www.jacob airs.com till next week engineer the lifestyle you want 
You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.